Welcome to Talk Tennis, a podcast created specifically for you, the tennis fanatic. Join us each week as we work to elevate your game both on and off the court. We will deliver fresh episodes to keep you up to date with tennis trends and technologies, as well as exclusive interviews with industry experts, current and former pros, and so much more. Here's your host, Michelle. Hey guys, welcome to Talk Tennis. Happy New Year. Now for 2020, we're going to begin our episodes with questions from you guys. So send in all of your questions about anything tennis related, whether it's gear, strategy, questions about pros, tournaments, the science of it all, anything that has to do with tennis. Email us at podcast at tennis-warehouse.com and your question might be answered on our next episode. You can also head over to our Talk Tennis message board and find the podcast tab and leave your question over there. Now let's get into our first question of 2020. This is from Usarian on the Talk Tennis message board and he asked, Having tested out so many rackets and setups over the years, have you all found yourselves becoming more picky over time or less? That's an amazing question. I think we all might answer it slightly differently. I personally think, yes, we can play with almost any racket, but yes, we also have become very picky because we know exactly what we like. Most of the playtesters are very dialed into their specs, and we can tell if a racket is just a few swing weight points above or below of what we normally like, which is a lot of fun because, as you've heard, we're very competitive people. So even in a meeting when we get introduced to racket, we'll pass it around and kind of like play a guessing game of the swing weight and above or below. So while, yes, we can play with almost anything, we definitely have the luxury of playing with exactly what we like. Another question we got comes from at C-Had and he asked, what are your thoughts on playing in UTR events compared to USTA events? Now, the biggest thing to realize going into a UTR event is that they group players together strictly based on ability rather than age or sometimes even gender. So you could be competing against someone much older than you or much younger than you. I actually read about a UTR tournament and an 11-year-old girl was playing a 70-year-old man. So that's something that you might come across in a UTR event. So definitely wouldn't see that in a USTA event. Could be something new, a good new challenge. I say go for it, sign up, and we would love to hear how the experience goes. Hope that helps answer those questions. Now, if you have a question for us and want to be featured on next week's episode, be sure to email us at podcast.tennis-warehouse.com and stay tuned next week as we answer more of your questions. Now let's get into this episode. Today's guest is one of our favorite Americans to watch because of her big personality and how she plays with so much heart. Having a standout 2019, it's going to be exciting what 2020 holds for this young lady as she broke into the top 90 this year and had a solid run at the U.S. Open. Her first U.S. Open was in 2008, but she waited to turn pro until later and spent her college career as a standout player at Stanford. The three-time All-American scored the clinch point for the Cardinals at the 2013 NCAA Championship and was able to transition onto the pro tour after much success at the college level. 
This year, she reached her career high on the WTA of 87 and made it to the round of 16 at the US Open and third round of BMP with lots of personality on and off the court. Welcome to Talk Tennis, Christy On. Thanks for having me. Yay. I got like, yeah, I got like little goosebumps just reading (laughs) about that. It's been such a good year for you and I'm so excited. So we're at the end of 2019. Tell me how you thought the year went. Yeah, it's crazy because I feel like my year has been like broken up in segments. Like the beginning of the year is just kind of lackluster in results. But I feel like I was really working towards this like looming goal of just trying to like get my confidence up and try and like stack up every little positive I could. And then I'd say like mid around Wimbledon, I started getting it together. And then obviously the US hardcourt swing was more than I could have asked for. So I'm just happy that like <laughs> the year kind of went on like a nice incline and definitely happy where it turned out. The US Open was such a fun run. I'm sure very fun for you, but it was amazing to watch and be a fan. And you literally leave your heart out there. So I think as fans, we really appreciate that. And can enjoy the way you play on the court. Well, I definitely give credit to Tennis Warehouse for the shoes uh, (laughs) because sliding everywhere. Yeah, you have a very aggressive game style. Like I said, I think the best way to put it for me, at least just looking on the outside, is you literally leave it all out on the court. You are going for every ball, no matter what. I mean, so aggressive in your movement, definitely a slider. So have you always been that sort of player? I feel like I slid some when I was younger, like it was never out of my comfort zone. And then I ended up actually spraining my ankle my freshman year in school because I was trying new shoes because I was having some foot problems. And then I slid in like a brand new pair of barricades, no offense to barricades, like, and then (laughs) sprained my ankle. And then when I got back into it, it just started happening naturally again. And then more and more. And then I don't know. It's weird because I don't really (laughs) like slide on clay court. So... (laughs) People are like, it doesn't make any sense. I'm like, when you think about it, it kind of does. But (laughs) yeah, I don't know. I love moving aggressively on hard courts. I love sliding. I think it helps me get to balls that I otherwise wouldn't be able to reach and gives me more control. Yeah, for sure. So let's rewind a little bit. I want to hear about how tennis started for you and your transition, deciding to go to college and not turning pro because you obviously had a lot of success as a junior player. So how did it start? How did you transition to college? And then how did the transition go from there? The start is not very exciting. I mean, like it's pretty boring, actually. Um, my, My family and I just played some park tennis. We'd take lessons with the local guy and we just play games pretty much the whole time and it was just fun which I guess is pretty important yeah and I like to think I was pretty athletic you know I liked playing soccer I, I just loved sports and I had so much energy so my mom's like yeah good just like spend it all on the court <laughs> um, Get it out. yeah exactly and then I guess I was showing some sort of promise started playing more consistently throughout the week but always went to school never compromised school for tennis. Even when I was doing well, I still went to a private school, but it was more accommodating with travel. So I kind of hit my peak when I was 16 and was deciding college tennis wasn't exactly what it became when I went to school. But at the time, it was kind of like, oh, only burnouts or like, you know, girls who can't (laughs) make it go to college. You go there basically to like end your career. So my mindset, I was like, oh, no, I don't want that to happen. I want to keep playing. And my parents were like, 
no, you're going to college. You're 16 <laughs> years old. You have no idea what you're talking about. And then I qualified for the US Open. Like I think at the time it was $18,500 for first round prize money, which was like- A lot. I know now like the numbers are completely different. <laughs> but at the time I was like, oh my God. Yeah. And I would just like rub it in my parents' face anytime they like brought up money. I was like, we could have $18,500. <laughs> uh, but my dad was literally like, I don't care if you win the US Open, you are still going to school. Oh, nice. Which, you know, obviously turned out to be the correct decision for me. Towards the end of high school, actually, I kind of got burnt out. I was not really sure what I wanted to do. Tennis wasn't going well. You get to this age and you're like, I got to get out of the house. I got to do something. I've been like soul searching as like a 17, 18 year old. So you go to college. Yeah, that's awesome. And I want to hear a little bit about your college experience, but Something that I think is really cool is you're super close with some of your teammates now. I know you and Nicole Gibbs are very close. You were at her wedding. I saw she was just out there training with you, I think, or maybe just just a quick stopover. So talk about how it was being on a team with some of these players and how you fit into the team. Yeah, so I've known Nicole since we were like 12, 13 years old. So it was actually really awesome to go in with someone that I was, you know, one of my best friends and we're like learning how to deal with college, how to like acclimate together. Mm -hmm. So that wasn't as lonely as maybe if I went in by myself and didn't really know anybody at all. But just being on a team is like so, if you haven't done it, it's hard to describe it because playing an individual sport your entire life everything revolves around you. You are the center, like your coaches, your parents, your fitness, everything is around you. And then when you're on a team, it's like, guess what? There's eight of you. There's 10 of you. Like The world doesn't revolve around you anymore. How you act affects everyone, even when you're not having a good day. I feel like it really makes you grow up. Totally. You kind of have to learn if you're not good, if you bring someone down, like that's on you. And then it's just a whole like, tumbleweed of action. Yeah. And how were you able to develop your game for the better during those four years? I was actually injured for a good portion of it, which is unfortunate. Yeah. For me, I think the biggest thing was more learning how to play doubles because <laughs> junior doubles and college doubles are two totally different animals. And yeah. I think there's a really good reason why we're seeing so much more success from college doubles players in recent years on the women's side, because I think women didn't really realize that it was kind of a viable avenue versus we've seen it for guys for since the Bryan brothers were playing. So it's really great to see that it actually does transition over and that the aggressive style and different formations and just being comfortable at net makes a difference. But also just for me, just like being more comfortable in my own skin and just kind of learning how to like re-love the sport. College definitely played a large part for that. That's awesome. Now, tell me what you got your degree in. (laughs) Because I Uh, read this and I was like, oh my goodness. So the joke is that it's a triple major, but it is one major. It's science, technology, and society. Also, do we just call it STS? Stanford. And I think Some other schools just love these, like, not concrete. They're just, like, very abstract majors. Like, Mm -hmm. we don't have a business major. We have management, science, and engineering. But why can't you just call it business? Yeah, so it's just funny. We would just make jokes. There's, like, a major at Stanford called, like, symbolic systems. And we're like, no one even knows what that means. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, she's just majoring it because she wants to say, like, oh, I made symbolic (laughs) systems and no one knows what 
it actually is. So. <laughs> well, your degree sounds intimidating to me. <laughs> it's, it's basically just a combination of business and technology. And the good thing about it is it gives a good flex of if you want to go more business heavy or tech heavy or anywhere in between. So we have kids go to Wall Street. We have kids go into tech companies, go into startups, go any which way, I guess. Nice. Now, anyone that knows you knows you're extremely smart in all areas on the court, off the court. You are a smart cookie. I know there was an article, I think it was just this year, maybe around the US Open about your parents talking about you trying to figure out when you're going to hang up the rackets and go into another area of your life, take your next chapter. And I also know you've gotten some offers to work outside of tennis. So maybe talk about that and what that looks like and what interests you outside of tennis and why you're going to keep climbing the rankings and kick ass on the court. Yeah. So it's funny because I feel like my dad's just been like loving this notoriety that he's (laughs) developed. But I think if you were raised similarly to me, like if you had immigrant parents, if you're Asian American, you can identify with my situation of this like going the traditional route versus the maybe less safe, Mm -hmm. but something I'm more passionate about. And logically, he does raise a good point of tennis isn't a very lucrative sport unless you're doing really well. Like you're spending a lot of money. My first couple of years, I was at a loss financially, but my parents were willing to help me out. So that was great. But a lot of people don't have that luxury. Right. So my dad was like, why would you keep doing something where you're losing money when you can, you know, you have a Stanford degree, go use it. Yeah. So he's a very logical man. And I was like, well, I guess it does make sense on paper. But for me, it's like, I've done this my whole life and I want to be able to close the chapter knowing that I gave everything that I could. Yeah. And then I'm ready to move on. Totally. So in that regard, I had a lot of people reach out and be like, oh my God, like I totally understand. And then I like looked online and people were like, what a terrible father. Like, well, how can he say that? <laughs> oh no. They're like, someone was like, wow, this guy seems like he'd be fun at parties. I'm like, actually, my dad's really fun. So <laughs> yeah. So I mean, you know, parents, their number one job is to worry and to make sure that they protect. Just, their exactly. Kids. exactly. So it makes yeah. Sense. Um, yeah. And I think just this year, they're seeing what I'm finally capable of and They just have to kind of sit back and be like, well, buckle up. Yeah. (laughs) We're we're in it. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it was funny. A couple of years ago, I was like, you know, if my tennis career doesn't end the way that I want it to, I would love to go spend some time around Hawkeyes. So like staying around the sport and kind of like sleeping my way out versus just going like cold turkey. Yeah. You know, I'd love to do something maybe with tech pretty rusty now. I think I'm like five years out. But that would be great. But now I've thought about it a lot. And I think it's just because it's something that I have no idea, I guess I would have to just kind of wait and see when I'm done, Mm -hmm. what my interests are at the time and kind of where, like, I'd love to stay in New York or go back to Silicon Valley, but kind of just have to see where things take me. If I keep going up, you know, obviously that people are more interested. They want to offer you more, not like money-wise, but opportunity-wise. And then right, totally. the platform. Yeah. But even now, I mean, I think I'd be happy to like, I, I feel like I'm more confident as well because I feel like I've mm-hmm. finally been somewhat successful in this that I can, when I do move on, I can kind of hold my head up high and be like, yeah, I played tennis for 20 years and that's all I know how to do. Use me. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I know I read something where you said 
you kind of had always been comparing yourself to 2008. Christy, when she played her first U.S. Open and then this year you were able to push through and break through and you had that awesome run. Do you fear that you're going to next year now be comparing everything to 2019? Are you able to separate that and use everything from this year and move forward? Obviously, we just have to really wait and see. But I'd like to think that I feel like 2019 was the closure to 2008. So I can okay. kind of put we it can close away. that exactly. and then start fresh. Yeah. Yes, I was going to say like- no expectations. 2008, because it was so successful for me. Not only that, Mm -hmm. for a while, it was my career high of like low 300s, which going to school full time wasn't a bad ranking. Right. So when I first started playing, I remember I think I was ranked like 305, and I was like, I'm right there. Like I was so nervous. And and then when I finally broke that, it was another like, okay, I can put that to rest. So finally, like, Wimbledon, I qualified, which that was my first time qualifying yeah, since that was awesome. the US Open. But then like to come full circle where it all began. And then, you know, to play Kuznetsova first round, my mom was like, why do you have to play her? You know, like yeah. moving for like, you know, not that anybody's an easy first round, but like Kuz, you know, she just came off right? the finals of Cincy. Yeah. Like, and she was like, oh no. Like, and I was like, no, it's going to be great. Like, opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of jumping all over the place, but you did bring it up. Your parents are immigrants and you are a Korean American player. And I know your culture means a lot to you. So maybe speak a little bit about that and what that's like and how there aren't a ton of Korean tennis players out there that are doing well and you're doing great. Thanks. Actually, interestingly enough, I mean, I would still count halves like half Korean Americans <laughs> as Korean. So obviously Jamie Hampton is probably one of the most successful. She was an okay. unbelievable player. So she was there. Louisa Trico was 60 something. Grace Min broke top hundred and we're here a little bit, <laughs> but yeah, it was just really great to represent my community and especially in sports, I guess. Uh, so to be able to kind of hold that flag this year was pretty great. And I'm learning too so much about it. So many of us of I consider myself first generation, some people consider me second generation. There's no like handbook for us, you know, on how to deal with when you're surrounded by white kids, they're like, oh, your food smells funny. Or, you know, like, they're just like, you're so weird. And you're like, you're like, your mom speaks funny. And you're like, what are you talking about? Like, there's all these issues that you're like, I don't know how to deal with this. Um, And then all of a sudden, it's like, you don't know how to embrace your culture. And then I didn't get to do that until later on. So it's just, it would have been great when I was younger to have seen maybe someone like me on TV. Yeah. And be like, oh, yeah, like, it's representation is everything, both in media, in sports, So I'm really glad that recently there's been like a larger, not just of Koreans, but also Asian Americans in general, just Mm -hmm. like looking at the screen and with the Crazy Rich Asians coming out and Andrew Yang running for president. It's just like you see yourself more in so many different facets of life. Yeah, that's really cool. And I love that you're proud of your heritage and where you come from. And I think you do such really good. I I was going (laughs) to, one of my questions later is going to be favorite food because you're always eating delicious noodles. I'm always jealous. (laughs) And you do a really good job of representing that on your social media too. I think you're very open and always are proud to be Korean. So that's really cool. Thanks. Yeah, Yeah. I try. I wanted you to explain how hard 
it actually is to transition from someone that is ranked about 300 to the top 100. Because I think a lot of people that don't know the process, don't know the points, don't know how it all works, think, oh, a 300 to 100, that's so easy. Right. It's not. No, it's not. <laughs> Maybe you can talk about that and what the grind is. And we've seen players have a successful tournament and they barely move up in the rankings. So yeah, talk about that a little bit. Yeah, tennis is brutal. Yeah. <laughs> you take losses almost every week. Even if you have a good week, it usually ends in an L. If you're lucky, you win the whole mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. But from 300, that's when the points start getting the differences. Like the higher the tournament, the more points they're worth. So in the beginning, it's pretty easy to move up because, you know, win a couple of rounds here at a 25, at a 50 or 60, then you're moving up. But from then on, it's you got to have consistent results or have something big. And, you know, getting from 300 to 200, that's tough. But getting from 200 to 100 is like the never ending climb. And I remember like, two years ago, I got to 105 and I was like, I'm in. And then <laughs> it just all went backwards. So, yeah, there's so many different factors. One of the biggest ones, I think, is just financially playing the ideal schedule would require a lot of money just because Mm -hmm. you're looking not only for yourself to gain momentum, you're also want to play maybe a weaker field. Right. And then, you know, hopefully that will get you some confidence so that you can start rolling. Mm -hmm. But most of us, at least who come out of college, we can't afford to go to like halfway across Europe the whole year or to Asia or China. It's so tough. If you want to play, like the ones in the States are stacked Mm -hmm. every single time from 25s all the way up to hundreds and WTAs. So if you want to stay in the States, it's not easy to get the results. And then it just feels like you're on this never ending climb. Yeah, it's definitely a grind. I can say just watching from the outside. I, I mean, I'm shocked at how hard it can be. But you're doing it. You're doing it, girl. (laughs) We're doing it. Here we go. We're climbing. (laughs) Let's talk a little bit about the physical side. You are, we always laugh when we watch you because you're taped up, the arms taped, the legs taped, but you're still like killing it on the court and like getting after every ball. So talk to me a little bit. You said you were injured through a lot of your college experience. So how's the injuries? How are you maintaining? How are you continuing to get stronger? So I am pretty healthy. I have finally stopped playing knock on wood with my arm elbow tape. Nice. So I've moved on to a sleeve but it's not as dramatic but hopefully it holds up for at least the next season yeah and then (laughs) I didn't think I was that uncoordinated but apparently I am because my like foot keeps not being where it needs to be and then I end up like hyperextending my knee Mm -hmm. and that's that's what happened during the open and I don't know I just feel like everything hurts (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm not sixteen anymore, and I no. wake up and I'm like, oh, I can feel every day. And I'm only yeah. 27. I know, like everyone's playing in their 30s and stuff, but I'm like, dang, this is painful. Yeah, I don't know if it gets any better. Yeah, that's not. What I <laughs> you just forget what normal feels like, Honestly. and your new baseline is sore, tired, yes. hurting. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yes. I can identify yeah. with that definitely. But you seem to be able to push through 
even when you hurt yourself at the U.S. Open, it was like, oh, my gosh, that looked horrible. And you just like got back up and let's keep going. So I'm sure you obviously know your body much better than anyone else out there. So, yeah, yeah. hopefully it keeps the injuries to a minimum. And unfortunately, the one in college actually was like a freak accident, like just shoes. It was really muggy day. So the courts were kind of sticky and I went for the slide and that was unfortunate. But from there, there was a bus accident. There was a stress fracture in the other foot. There was like so much of injuries that just rolled. And then mm. since then, I feel like my body has just been like injury. Catching prone. up. <laughs> yeah. Maybe just catching up a little. <laughs> well, kind of along the same lines, but a little different. What do you think shifted for you from 2018 to 2019? And then how are you taking this, what you've learned this year and shifting into 2020? Yeah. So 2018, actually started off really good for me. Like I did well in the warm-up tournaments and uh, I had a good Charleston. Like I beat Sam Stozer and lost to Gerges seven, six in the third. So it was like, you know, like to me is a very impressive first half yeah. of the year. But I feel like I never quite believed that these were results that I deserved. I feel like it was kind of like, I was putting so much pressure on myself to either maintain that or just kind of like waiting for the other shoe to drop, which it dropped for the rest of the year. So that was very unfortunate. <laughs> but I just feel like I didn't feel confident when I went out on court and every win that I got, it wasn't because I deserved it. It was because they played badly or, or something. And I just felt very, maybe I didn't look it, but from the inside, it just felt like I didn't really know what I was doing out there anymore. Mm. And then I think towards the end of the year, I had some injuries. So I kind of cut my season a bit short. But mm-hmm. 2019, the goal was to take the positives and sort of every day, every week, every practice, just find the little things that whether it was like, oh, I hit this one ball that I couldn't last week or, you know, oh, my slice is feeling better and not worry so much about the wins or losses or even something like I competed better or my attitude was better. And sort of taking that into the 2019 season and finally, I guess it came together somewhere in June. Yeah. I would say like <laughs> Wimbledon was kind of like my turning point mm-hmm. for that, especially after having a lackluster grass season, which I love grass. So that was, I was actually pretty like sad <laughs> going into Wimbledon. I was like, this is so sad. Like <laughs> I love grass and I've like, couldn't make it past the first round. So, so hopefully this year is better, but going yeah. into 2020, it's kind of taking 2019, but, um, amping it up and I definitely feel more confident, but kind of revisiting 2017, 2018, where it's kind of like, I'm in a similar situation, but now Mm -hmm. it's kind of like believing that I belong at this level and I've proven it to myself and I don't need to constantly question, you know, one bad match doesn't determine your entire season or your career. It's just like you take your positives and you move on and then hopefully you catch fire and just keep it rolling. But honestly, like granted the season hasn't started yet, so I don't know what it's going to bring, but that's the way I definitely want to go into it. Nice. Good perspective for sure. What was your favorite memory from this year? Well, obviously the US Open was pretty sweet. Actually, you know, there's some, I guess there were some highlights. Like, I mean, Wimbledon was great because that was my first mm-hmm. time qualifying, but then also like being at the All England Club. And oh, I was just awesome. like, whoa, this is <laughs> like, I, I, I don't know. I'm not huge on like tradition. Mm-hmm. So I didn't quite understand the appeal you know, it's like small and 
it is just like the white and everything but then when you go there you're like oh i get it like yeah you just feel the like richness of the history and in the venue and then san jose i got to walk onto the court with a puppy oh yeah <laughs> i will never forget that i will everyone's favorite everyone of that. moment yeah that i feel like that went viral i, mean, I could have lost that match oh no and i still would have been like over the moon <laughs> I was they need so to happy. do that at every tournament. Yeah, I think my heart rate was just like chill. Like my stress yeah. level was so low. It was like, this is a great day. That was really, cool. Yeah. And then obviously US Open and then going to play in Korea was pretty sweet. My dad got a lot of media attention. So he was really happy with that. Yeah. Just, um, they took <laughs> the New you? York Times. Art. Uh, yeah, I, I did. But my Korean's not like that fluent. So... Mm they just resorted to asking my dad. (laughs) Yeah, I guess he he was also telling me that like Korean moms and dads were coming up to him and being like asking him questions about, you know, the kids are thinking about going to college or in Korea, it's kind of like you either turn pro pretty early or you Mm -hmm. go to school. You don't really get to do both at a high level. So I think they were, hopefully, you know, that kind of starts to bleed into their culture a little bit more that like you can't have the best of both worlds and you don't have to decide your fate super early on. That's cool. Yeah. It's cool to be like a little bit of a spokesperson and role model for up and coming players. Uh, it's yeah. really, I'm like, no, I'm not. But, yeah, you are. You know. <laughs> Own it. Yeah, no, it's, it's awesome. I wanted to ask you a little bit about some of the things that you do off the court. You are a very talented musician. Talk about I'm that. I'm not. I'm, <laughs> I'm really not. Like, I well, am bare bones. Okay, I, she like, like plays piano and guitar <laughs> and can sing. No, no, yeah. I'm not like saying this like... <laughs> humbly I'm like literally saying I am proficient in piano I still write the letters of the notes on the paper so I'm not that good (laughs) do you Uh, find some stress relief in that is that I know you collaborate sometimes with other players (laughs) no it's fun which I don't know why they do because like Louisa my my two like friend Louisa Trico and Carol Zhao are insanely good singers and Carol's a singer songwriter now but I'm like, bro, you can literally find any person who plays better <laughs> guitar or piano than me. And somehow I'm like riding on the coattails of their amazing voices and talents. And I'm like, yes. I'm well, like, I think that brings me to something else I did want to mention. You are friends with everybody, I'm pretty sure. Like you are one of those girls that you can go anywhere and you know like <laughs> everyone in the room. So you obviously have a personality that's really fun to collaborate with, whether it's in music or just a day off or whatever. And that's something that's really cool. You have friends that are at the very top of the rankings. I know you're close with Naomi Osaka. Like you are just one of those girls. Maybe you can talk about how you have friendships all over the tour. Yeah, I think a lot of them actually come from before we were at this level. It was a lot of them we met. I wouldn't say juniors because... I didn't play very much juniors, but when I was kind of starting back up in 2014, like I met a lot of the girls who are now at the top of the game Mm -hmm. before they were who they are now. And so I just find this world so fascinating because it's like, these girls are so good. They're so committed. They're so professional. And I'm just Mm -hmm. like 
in awe of what they do. And it's just like, I don't want to like be part of their results, but it's just like when they do well, I'm like, yes. You're proud of that. Like, we were That's in amazing. a 25 in Mexico together. Yes. Yeah. We <laughs> yeah. for the Australian Open. Like, yeah. That's so great. And I think me being supportive, they mm-hmm. appreciate that. And, you know, it's genuine. Like, I'm not trying to just like, oh, become friends with them to get the in. It's like, no, I'm yeah. genuinely happy for them. No, it's it so comes great. across very genuine. And it's awesome. It's awesome to see you supporting other, especially female athletes that you're competing with. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, like, they, cool. you know, it, it's our workplace. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's, you know, the the stigma and the culture of women's tennis. Everyone hates each other. No one speaks totally. to each other. And maybe that would have been true like 10 years ago. But now like everyone's super friendly. There's so many yeah. friendships on tour that people don't really pay attention. Oh, I didn't know they were friends. Oh, I didn't know they were friends. Like pretty much everyone. Everyone's friends. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's awesome. Very positive to hear that. Um, let's do some fun little quick questions. Well, this one's not fun. But <laughs> we'll start hard. What's been your biggest struggle on tour in general? Not just this year, just what's been your biggest struggle? Definitely the feeling of belonging. I think you have imposter syndrome. <laughs> no, I mean, like going to college and I've been told by so many other people that I couldn't make it and I believe yeah. them. So I was like, why would I believe in myself going the perhaps less traditional route at the time? Mm-hmm. So definitely confidence on court, even when I would have a good win, I was like, no, no, no. Like trying to find that attitude of like, yeah, that was awesome. And like enjoying myself out there more. I think that's also been a huge difference this year. That resonates a lot with me because I have a very similar personality (laughs) where it's like you just accomplished something amazing. You're like, oh, no, it's not that big of a deal. It's like Like, kind of like perfectionism (laughs) as well because you're always like looking for issues and, Mm -hmm. oh, this wasn't perfect. Oh, I could have done this better. And instead of like soaking it in and like enjoying the moment, which my coach after Wimbledon, like I got to play on court three, which was a sick court and it was packed. And I just kind of like put my head down the entire match, was just trying to stay focused. But like the crowd was wild. Like they were so much fun. And like usually I, you know, try and engage myself a little bit with them, but I was trying to like stay so focused Mm -hmm. that it almost was like to the point where it was hurting me, where I wasn't like embracing the atmosphere and kind of to look back on it and being like, yeah, that was sick. Like that was unbelievable. So when I went to the U.S. Open, I tried to take that a little bit more. And my coach was like, just enjoy it. Like when they start engaging, feed off of that. Like that's when you play your best. So And you did. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. (laughs) Nice. Let's go with an easier question. Current gear of choice. I know you're switching into the new Babla Pure Strike 98. This was a bit of a doozy for me because I started my first week of practice. I used my normal pure strike last yep. year's version seven. and then I got the racket and I was expecting it to be the exact same and I don't know if like the balance was slightly off or what but I was hitting to the point where I couldn't feed the ball like my mm-hmm. arm was getting so sore so I was like telling my coach I was like I can't switch this racket like I can't yeah. even if I go in a third set I'm fried like there's no right. way and so for the rest of the week I just ended up using my old racket turns okay. out it's more because I hadn't been practicing. <laughs> so, like just putting in reps would have been fine. So I switched it maybe like a little bit too early because after a week, I was like, oh, let me try this racket again. And it felt totally fine. Like it, it still felt different, 
but I wasn't like crying that I couldn't like feed the ball. And like my arm was, I was just, it was just pathetic. Also because like that small of a difference just completely changes everything, which I think a lot of people don't really understand. I don't understand. (laughs) But yeah, I've, I've really grown to love this racket. I feel like the ball sits in the pocket so well. And especially for me, my backhand, I think because the balance, it feels like a little bit more in the head. So it carries mm-hmm. through a little bit more, Yeah, which for my backhand has been adding a little bit more oomph on the ball, which I'm very happy about. Yeah. So yeah, making the switch, I only heard the first impression. So when you were telling me that you're switching, <laughs> I was like, something must have happened. <laughs> and then your string setup right now, you use Element and ALU Power from Luxalon. And you're at usually around 52, 54. And maybe eventually experiment with some new strings. Yeah, one day, one day I will experiment. (laughs) Not that day. Which I feel like, you know, making a racket and string change is a lot. So I always like to err on the side of caution of just switching one factor at a time because if it does go south, I know what the change is. Because obviously practice and match play are two totally different things. So when the year starts, if something doesn't feel right. If I switch more than one thing, I'm like, is it the strings or is it the racket? Like, what do I do? And I start panicking like a maniac. (laughs) No panicking. So (laughs) keep it there. Shoes. You reference your shoes. You use the A6 Cord FF2, right? Yes. Thanks for telling me because I didn't know what they're called. They're the Djokovic shoes. Exactly. And I remember when they were coming out, I was like, just hold on. These shoes are going to be amazing. You're going to love them. Yeah. Poor Michelle. I I tried every shoe in the book, it felt like. And I was like, these are not it. And I feel so bad because I want so badly for these shoes to be it. And I want to be done with this search. And I want to stop asking Michelle to try a different pair of shoes. (laughs) And it was just like Goldilocks, but on steroids where I couldn't find the perfect shoe. And I was like almost willing to compromise something. And then I'm like, nope. No, I can't. I can't. So I have a. I had a bunch of the Nike Vapor 9.5s in my closet. So I was like, I guess I'm just going to keep going and hope that my career lasts as long as these shoes do. <laughs> and then finally, Michelle was like, Oh, they like they came out with the women's version of the Novak shoes. Like you got to try them. And I, as soon like my first day in them, I was like, Yup, these are the shoes. Like I yeah. could tell right away. I, they felt light. I could move the change of direction. It cuts well. They slide amazing, which I feel like I slide more now than I ever did. And probably partly because of the shoes. And they're just, they're super comfortable. That's awesome. And I think that's important for anyone listening that has had issues. I think a lot of tennis players just kind of settle for shoes that don't work or shoes that feel heavy or shoes that don't fit them. And sometimes it takes trying five different pairs or waiting for an update. So that's cool. I think for tennis players, shoes and rackets are a no compromise sort of situation because, you know, these are, your feet are so important. Like, you have to be able to trust your shoes, especially for me as someone who slides all the time. All the other shoes, I would not slide in them because I didn't feel safe, especially yeah. like PTSD from straining my ankle trying new shoes. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, nope, nope, nope. Even if you know, I see other players sliding in them, for me, it was I don't feel comfortable moving in them, so I would yeah. not wear them. And then the racket, obviously, this is like your weapon going out to battle. You know, I know some people are like, oh, like you get paid more from this company or whatever. I'm like, no, you find your racket and then you figure out 
the logistics after that because everyone's different. You got to find your perfect mold. Totally. So speaking of rackets, what is your signature shot on the court? Oh, God. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I feel like, like, a, like a solid forehand. A solid forehand. Okay. Um, P.S. I think anyone that's listening needs to go to our YouTube channel and watch some of the improved videos that Christy did with us at BMP. The WTA drill that you taught us, (laughs) which I love. I've always loved that drill, but like you did it like a boss. She's just like inside the baseline grinding against Marcos Giron, (laughs) you know, like hits a solid ball and just like owning the baseline. So yeah, shout out. That's why my year was such a success. Was <laughs> you, and, you and Marcos had a little yeah, exactly because of that session. That's where that's the secret to my that's 2019. Yeah, no, I think um, it's great, especially for women. I don't know how much it would apply to the ATP tennis, but like for WTA, it's stay low and just rip. So yeah. If you can, if you can take control of that baseline, like you're on the upper hand for sure. That's awesome. Favorite emoji? Probably like either the crying laughing one or the side eye one. Ooh, <laughs> the side eye like smile one and the side eye like frowny one. Okay. One. <laughs> what does your best day off look like? Sleeping, eating, and probably like playing music. Terribly. Nice. <laughs> favorite food korean food i can't even like narrow that down korean noodles okay i love noodles i tell my friends send me the nudes all the time (laughs) when they're eating noodles love it (laughs) not to be taken out of context (laughs) yeah that's gonna be the time do not send me nudes (laughs) this could go bad (laughs) (laughs) who was your favorite player when you were growing up for the women kim kleisters and like further back i didn't even really think about it until recently um i love jennifer capriotti um which i know like i feel like she's just kind of like forgotten but she was so good like you know and i don't know just watching her play she had so much like fire on court and then like later on i would say kim kleisters that's maybe where i get my sliding from i don't know Um, and then on the men's side, Andre Agassi through and through. Nice. That's awesome. Who is a player on tour right now that you look up to? Tricky. <laughs> I don't know. There's so many good ones. Mm. Like, I mean, obviously Serena, you know, because not only of what she's been able to accomplish, but, you know, coming back after the baby and mm-hmm. then Venus as well for like, I feel like they were just so like groundbreaking. Yeah. Um, but I would probably say like the first name that came to mind was actually Bethany. Oh, cool. Yeah. Just like what she's, you know, been able to endure these past, like since her injury and a terrible injury and to be able to come back and win the mixed grand slam back to back with Jamie is that's like incredible. Like she really could have just hung up the racket and been like, that's it. You know, like she's not exactly young. Sorry, Bethany. <laughs> but you know, that that's such a warrior story. So you definitely have yeah. to give that respect. Yeah, she's badass. And I feel like she's doing a really good job about being real lately. So that's yeah, fun. Definitely. Too. Good choices, good picks. What's your best walkout song? <laughs> God. <laughs> um, okay, I can I like pivot? Yes. So <laughs> when I was playing Ostapenko on Grandstand, I was serving for it at 6-5 in the second, I think. Mm-hmm. And on the changeover, Avicii's levels started playing. And that song was like in its 
prime when I was in college. Like any party had it playing. It was like the banger of all bangers. So when that song came on, I swear to God, I was like, oh, good. I'm winning this match because this song came on on the changeover. And I went into that game like fired up beyond belief. That's cool. Good story. (laughs) Good transition. Good pivot. (laughs) Uh, Make a bold prediction of something that's going to happen on tour next year. I'm going to go with Muhova making a slam final. Okay. You heard She's it here so first. good. Like I <laughs> she I mean, I bet like half the girls on tour probably think the same as me. But she's okay. so good. She's like such a good athlete, has unbelievable ball control. And then like also very nice girl, but not that it counts in tennis. But like <laughs> she she reminds me of like an Ash Barty and just like had so much raw talent and it's finally being able to hone it. That's cool. And she had a very solid year this year, but I'm pushing for her next year to make one. Unless I play her, of course. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I mean, she sorry, worked me sorry. bad in the Bronx. I was just like, wow, that's too good. I felt like I was okay. so cool. Hey, sometimes you need those matches. (laughs) It's a a growing experience. Definitely. Best advice to anyone transitioning from college to pros? I would say trust yourself. Mm -hmm. I think in both ways of trust yourself in that when people tell you you can't and you think you can do it. Yeah. But also when you can feel yourself saying, I don't want to do this anymore like that's okay. Mm-hmm. It's not a failure. There's no like no one's keeping track of, you know. Will you be able to achieve something great? Yeah. There's nothing to be ashamed of. I think everyone's timeline is different. Everyone's time with this sport is different and have different levels. So look inward for your answers mm-hmm. and don't look too much to the outside cuz people are just going to steer you in all different directions. Yeah. So trust yeah. yourself. Trust yourself. That's good. What legacy do you want to leave behind? Here for a good time, not a long time. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> God, that's so bad. Uh, I love it. <laughs> I don't know. I think it, that that you know is possible to be a fierce competitor on the court, but also be really good friends off the court. That you can be a gracious loser, and you know maybe it, that's why I'll never win a slam. But for me, that's not the goal. My goal is actually more to use this platform to reach other people that. Hopefully, when the Asian American community thinks back on sports and tennis, that my name would come up and that I was able to inspire the next generation, I guess. That's a great legacy. Let's go with that. I like it. Speaking of goals, what do we have in store for 2020? What's the beginning of your season look like? Yeah, so got the Australia swing. I'm going to New Zealand for the first time in Auckland. So that should be exciting. I really want to go to Hobbiton because Lord of the Rings just kind of like Mm -hmm. run in my blood. So I feel like I owe it to it myself. And then I'm going to Adelaide, which it's the first year that they're going to be hosting it there, moving from Sydney. So it should be hot. (laughs) But I heard really good things about the venue. Cool. And then Melbourne, Australian Open. Cool. Are you going to be playing the Challenger in Newport Beach by any chance? TBD. (laughs) <laughs> TBD. <laughs> Those look like they're so much fun, the Oracle Challengers. So Yeah, they've, they've done a really good job with them. I feel like the first year, there's a bit of a learning curve. Obviously, I feel like what you think hosting the tournament is like and actually hosting it are like two totally different worlds. So 
I know like players, we, we want a certain caliber of everything. And it's like, guys, this is the first year it's being run. Let's give him a little bit of leeway to sort of adjust. And if the next year it's just as bad, that's when you can start unleashing the hounds. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like give people a chance to breathe and yeah. correct their own mistakes, especially as their first, you know, it's such a good opportunity for Americans, especially mm-hmm. like we should be grateful that these tournaments are happening. And then obviously we want to improve them, but yeah. yeah. How can people keep up with you? I know you're pretty active on all of your social channels. So I tried to like take an all around hiatus from my social media platforms, which like was going well until all my friends are like, we exchange a lot of messages on Instagram. So they're like, check your Instagram, check your Instagram. (laughs) And I'm like, I kept trying to put it in my browser because I didn't want the app. But there's mm-hmm. so many things on the browser that you can't do without the yeah. app. So I, I was like, oh, let me just like download the app and put it on my like last page. And then I'm on it like all the time. So, but when I, I didn't have exactly it, I was working on it. I was like, I why can you just not press the button? Just don't click it. I like oh, will hide mine on the last page in a thing yeah, like on no, that. No, and no. I'm still now I'm just conditioned to go yeah, over so bad. But I, <laughs> I deleted Twitter as well, which is actually my more preferred to Instagram. But it's been good because, well, it's not good probably. But I get my news sources now from Reddit, which is terrible. <laughs> but I don't have any like social on Reddit. So I just go on there strictly to read and browse as opposed okay. to interacting. Yeah. yeah, so I haven't been on Twitter for a bit. But I guess I'll okay. download it when the season starts rolling around. Yeah, yeah, we'd like to hear what you have to say. <laughs> you always have some- <laughs> No, you always are very bright and insightful and hilarious. So <laughs> I like to uh keep people updated on my dad yeah what he does because he does some pretty ridiculous things and (laughs) I'll actually tell you what I would have posted if I was on Twitter (laughs) so I somehow got on the topic I was reading about Christopher Lee okay Saruman in Lord of the Rings and I was like dad do you know Christopher Lee like not know him but you know the actor Christopher Lee and my dad goes the guy who fell off a horse and I was like Dad, that's Christopher Reeves. Like, <laughs> I just thought it so funny. Like, I feel like it's like a bad dad joke or something, but it's really not a joke. He was totally serious. That's pretty funny. Yeah, <laughs> your dad sounds like someone. It's a very entertaining to have around. Definitely, never a dull moment with Don on. I love it. Well, I have to say, if I can say anything for your 2020, I want you to start seeing yourself the way we all see you, which is badass, yeah. awesome. Christy is literally one of the nicest humans. I've been around you a few times and you're so kind to everyone. And I think just hearing you talk about your relationships on tour, your relationships at tournaments, like it just proves that you're just someone that really is looking to connect. And you are such an amazing role model for any player out there. And I'm so proud of the year that you've had. And I cannot wait to watch you in 2020. So I'm so excited for you to continue to keep growing. And I really appreciate you chatting with me today. No, thanks for having me. This is fun. I'm so happy to be a part of Team T-Dub. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. And do us a favor and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever you download your podcast. Now, remember, we're going to be doing our best to answer your tennis questions at the beginning of each episode. So if you are interested in submitting a question, 
please either reach out to us on email at podcast at tennis-warehouse.com or you can leave it in a review. We'll definitely see it and try to get to it next week. Until next time, happy hitting. Um, oh, I just had a great question. <laughs> what was I going to say? Ah, oh my gosh. Uh, anyways, <laughs> it'll, it'll, it'll it'll come back. Um, it was no, it was like really good, and I was going from there to there. Well, that's <laughs> it from us. We're gonna end on that. I'm gonna push it off. Now you ruined the interview. <laughs> <laughs> my words are struggling.